Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. A man was once walking in a neighborhood, and as he was walking, he saw a house with a sign out front that said, Talking Dog for Sale. And so he eagerly knocked on the front door, and the owner directed him to go around to the back of the house, the backyard, to see the dog. Now, admittedly, he was pretty skeptical at first, and so he calls out to the dog, Hey, dog, do you talk? Yep, the mutt uttered. The man then said, so what's your story? Well, the dog looked up and said, well, I discovered long ago that I have this gift of eavesdropping, of listening and talking. And when I was young, I wanted to help my country. I want to help the government. So I joined the CIA. And for many years, I went to country to country and spied on world leaders because no one ever thought it was possible for a dog to eavesdrop. I was one of their most valuable agents. I uncovered some incredible secrets and was awarded a bunch of medals. I had a wife, a mess of puppies, and now I'm just retired, the dog said. Well, the guy couldn't believe what he was hearing, and he was already thinking of ways he could use a talking, eavesdropping dog And so he turned to the owner and said, how much do you want for him? The owner replied, $10. To which the man replied, wait a second, your dog is amazing. Why are you willing to sell him for so cheap? The owner just shook his head and said, because he's a big liar. In our gospel reading today from John chapter 17, we are granted a wonderful opportunity to eavesdrop, to listen in on a conversation between Jesus and the Father. This is one of the few times in Scripture in which we are privy to an intimate, intra-Trinitarian conversation between God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But John 17 is essentially a prayer. In fact, it's the longest and most personal prayer that we have of Jesus in the New Testament. And it's an important part of Scripture. So much so that the former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, once described Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 as perhaps the most sacred passage of all four Gospels. Now, the context for this prayer is it takes place right after Jesus has had the Last Supper with his disciples. You might remember he breaks bread with them. Uh, He gets up from the table. He stoops down and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And following this last meal, John tells us that Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven. And then he begins with his well-known address to God, Father, Father. In the Gospels, we have 21 accounts of prayers of Jesus. And each time, except one, he always begins his prayer the same way, by addressing God as his Father. 
Now, you might have heard this, but the Aramaic word, this is the language that Jesus probably would have been speaking at the time. Uh, for father is the word Abba, not to be confused with the band, although this is where they get the term. But Abba is an Aramaic term, which is really a warm, natural, loving word. Is often the name that a small child would use for their father. Maybe the best English translation of that word is daddy. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. The German reformer Martin Luther once said that there is more eloquence in the words Abba Father than from all the orations from the Greeks and the Romans. In this prayer, we see Jesus make a couple requests, a couple petitions, but for the sake of brevity this morning, I want to focus simply on the first request that Jesus makes, and that is he asks God, his Father, for him to glorify himself. This is a request for the majesty, the splendor, the brilliance, the kingship of Jesus, something which was rightly his, which had been hidden for so many years during his earthly ministry. Jesus is asking for this to be revealed so that everyone could see. This was something that was part and parcel to the Jewish expectation of the Messiah. You might remember that the Messiah was God's people's long-awaited Davidic king, the person that God would raise up and send the anointed one who would come back into the world to rescue us from our brokenness, to put the world to rights, and to usher in shalom and peace and prosperity. Psalm 72, which is a messianic psalm, says this. He says, the Messiah would have dominion from sea to sea. And the prophet Daniel prophesizes that the Son of Man would be given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages would bow down to worship and serve him. In many ways, Jesus' request that his glory might be on display is a return to his pre-incarnate state. And Jesus alludes to this when he says in verse 5, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Theologians often refer to this as Christ's pre-existence. That is Christ's state prior to him becoming fully human, prior to the incarnation. John refers to this many times in his gospel. You might remember his famous prologue from John chapter 1, where John begins his gospel this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. Or you might remember that in John chapter 8, Jesus is in the temple, and he has an encounter with some of the Jewish leaders there, some of the religious officials, and Jesus makes a bold claim. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, evoking the holy name of God. This, of course, leads to people picking up stones and throwing them at Jesus, and so he flees the temple quickly. But you see, up to this point in Jesus' life and his ministry, 
Jesus has been the suffering servant, the one who took on the fullness of humanity, the one who came to serve rather than to be served. Jesus' glory up to this point had not been on full display. And you know, one one of the things I think that's so remarkable about Jesus and about the incarnation, about God coming into the world through the person of Jesus, is that out of Jesus' love for us, out of his love for this world, the creation and humanity, he put his honor, his glory, his majesty, his authority, and his fame on a shelf, as it were, so that he might enter into the fullness of our human existence, so that he might know what we struggle with, he might know what it means to be human, so that he might empathize with our plight. This, of course, is beautifully summarized in the words from St. Paul in the Philippians chapter 2, where St. Paul writes, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness and being found in an appearance as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so now, after many years of ministry, he has come to the end of his time here on earth. Jesus says, the time has come. My work here is done. Glorify your son. Now, at first, we might think this is a strange request by Jesus, perhaps even a little selfish by him. I mean, why is he asking that God's, his brilliant splendor, his majesty, his power, his authority might be revealed through Jesus? Why is Jesus asking for that? But then we read the next phrase, which follows Jesus' request. Jesus says, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. You'll notice a beautiful and intimate exchange here between the Father and the Son in order that he might glorify the Father. There is a wonderful self-effacing aspect to this request which is really consistent with Jesus' character here. But at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, this is really interesting theology, Alex. I mean, we do get to eavesdrop on this intra-Trinitarian conversation between the Father and Son. Very interesting. But what impact does this have on my life today? How is it relevant for me? Well, I think there is much practical wisdom that we can glean from this encounter with Jesus and his Father. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to follow him, to take up our cross, to suffer for his sake. This is often a difficult challenge for many of us, and God calls us each to different challenges, to suffer in different ways. And yet, when we live out the Christian life, especially in the midst of conflict, of strife, trials. I think it's through those hard times in our life 
that we reveal God's glory the most. As a father, I have come to realize that the splendor of God's glory is displayed brightest in the moments of my own repentance. It has been said that we are never more godlike than when we repent or when we forgive. And this is why I think the Lord places so much emphasis on forgiving other people. Forgiving others, you see, puts God's glory on full display so that people can see God working in us and through us. They see God at work. What separates Christianity from every other religion is this idea of grace, God's unmerited favor, unearned favor. All other religions reach God through obedience, through following laws or behaviors. But in Christianity, God reaches us through unmerited grace. He pursues us in relationships. He calls us to himself. He forgives us, and we don't do anything to earn that. If we want our lives and our homes to be saturated with grace, we as parents, as grandparents, as neighbors, as colleagues, we need to be quick to apologize. Confessing our sins and our mistakes to our kids and to others, asking them to forgive us, not only brings us closer together, it builds stronger family relationships, but it also helps our children and others experience the closeness of God's tender mercies. What does this look like in your day-to-day life? What's in those little encounters? Maybe it's your home. Maybe it will prick your conscience in such a way to apologize, saying, I'm sorry, for the tone that I used when you asked me to empty the dishwasher. Or I'm sorry that I misunderstood the conflict that you were having with your brother and jumped to an unfair conclusion. You see, saying I'm sorry isn't a sign of relational or parental failure, but rather a bridge to greater intimacy and truth. This is true not only with our children, but in all our relationships. Each time we have a conflict, and each time we are quick to forgive, to say we are sorry, we display God's glory. When we choose to love instead of being angry, when we are patient instead of being impatient, when we are kind instead of rude, when we are gentle instead of harsh. You see, this is God working in in through us. And when we yield to God's spirit, we manifest his glory. Some of you know that I'm a huge um, fan of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, books and even his movies. Um, And in his final book, the Return of the King, there's this wonderful scene uh, with this character named Aragon. He also goes by the name Strider. And so Aragon is the rightful king of the West. 
but he has long labored in obscurity. Nobody really knows who he is. He's on the fringes of society, sort of lives by himself in the wilderness. He forgoes kingly comforts to serve his subjects and fight their battles, repeatedly risking his life for them. But at the very end of the third book, at last he prevails over the forces of the Dark Lord and he enters into the city where he will rule at last. And when Aragon enters the fortified city of Minas Tirith, for the first time as king, the city's steward proclaims Aragon's, Aragon's royal pedigree and pilgrimage. And he blurts these words out for everybody to hear. He says, here is Aragon, son of Arathorn, chieftain of Dudadain Arnor, captain of the hosts of the west, bearer of the star of the north, wielder of the sword reforged, victorious in battle, whose hands bring healing, the Elfstone, Yasildor's son, Elendil's son of Numenor. Shall he be king and enter into the city and dwell there? So much of Jesus's ministry was labored in obscurity, unheralded, humbly serving the people over whom he had every right to reign. This ultimately led to him humbling himself even to the point of death. But today, as the glorified son of God, who was exalted and seated at the right hand of God, Jesus claims his rule over this world. And he claims his rule even over our lives. Here is the Christ, the second Adam, the bright and morning star, the first and the last, victorious in battle, whose hands bring healing and reconciliation, mighty second person of the Trinity, son of David, son of man, word of God incarnate, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the Prince of Peace. Shall we give Jesus the glory he deserves? Will we let him enter in to our hearts and our lives? Will we let him rule over us? Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.